Well, I want you to open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 15. We're talking about revival this week. And uh, what I want to do for a few minutes tonight, I want to take you back to a story in the Bible. A story about a man who needed revival. Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, in verses 1 through 7, Jesus speaks about a lost sheep. A lost sheep. In verses 8, 9, and 10, He speaks about some lost silver. And then in verses 11 through the remainder of the chapter. How many verses are in this chapter? Are there 32? 11 through 32? He speaks about a lost son. Can you remember three S's? Do you head like this? Sure you can. Well, if you can remember three simple S's, sheep, silver, son, you have Luke 15 in your heart. You know what this chapter is all about. Now, we still have the time to talk to you about the sheep and the silver. We don't, for time's sake, only the son. Let's start in Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. Verse 11. Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. Uh, let me just pause right here to say that uh, my father had two sons. Uh, my father died about two years ago. He was an elder of the church. I tell you, I miss him every day. And let me just plant this seed. If your father is still living, go out of your way before the night is over to say, hey, Dad, I love you. I, I wish that my father were still here so that I could say, Dad, I love you. I miss him every day. But my father had two sons. I have an older brother by the name of Steve. He's also a preacher. And I'm the youngest of the two boys. So I can identify with the story. I can see myself in the story. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after... The younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance on riotous. Not righteous, but riotous, wild, extravagant, sinful, prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a person, to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to his fields to feed pigs, swine, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave it to him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And will say unto him, O Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, not worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and went. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, O father, I, I, I've sinned against heaven and your sight. I, I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Hey, hey, bring forth the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. And, Sir, put shoes on his feet. And, and bring hither the fatty calf. And, 
and let's kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be happy or merry. And that's Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. Now, audience, what do we usually call this story? We call it the story of the... Yeah, the PK, right? Not the preacher's kid, but the uh, prodigal kid. The story of the prodigal son. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go back to Luke chapter 15 and find the verse. We're looking for the verse in which Jesus refers to him as the PK, the prodigal kid. When you find it, do this. Look over Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24 and find the verse. We're looking for the verse in which Jesus refers to him as the prodigal son. Anybody found it? It's not in there, is it? I mean, you can read and read and read and study and study and study all night long, but it's not in there. Nowhere does Jesus say, now audience, I want to tell you the story of the prodigal son, and yet that's the way that we know it. I mean, Luke 15 is mentioned maybe by Bill in a sermon, maybe in a Bible class, and we say, Luke 15, let's see. Luke 15, Luke, oh yeah, I know about Luke 15, that's the story of the prodigal son. We call him a prodigal son, a sinful son. I have one son, he's back there, he's alive. I say, Pete, don't embarrass daddy, don't turn out to be like this kid. The kid of Luke 15 is not a good kid, he's a bad kid. Don't turn out to be like this son. We call him a prodigal son, but you know something, I can see some good in it. I say, I can see some good in this old boy of Luke chapter 15. I say, I can see some good in him. And let me share a couple of good things that I see, okay? In the first place, he did not blame others for his own mistakes, did he? He did not point fingers. He didn't blame others for his own sins. Sometimes we want to do that. Have you noticed? Let me ask you. Audience, have you, ever, have you ever run out of gas and kicked the car? You know, here you are driving down the road and you're out of gas. Stupid old car, car's fault, right? Sometimes we want to blame others. We want to point fingers, right? It's not my fault, it's the car's fault. That's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember the story? God told Adam and Eve not to eat of a certain tree. If they did, they would surely die. The devil came along and said, Now wait a minute, God said you'll die, you'll not die. He added, the devil added one word, just one, to the word of God. God said you'll die, you'll not die. God knows that if you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be open, you'll be as wise as he is, and they listened to the devil, and because they did, God wanted to know why. God went to Adam and God said, my son Adam, why? What did Adam say? Who, me? It's not my fault. It's the woman's fault. It usually is, isn't it, guys? We want to blame the woman. And you know, God's not prejudiced, so God goes over to the woman. God says, Eve, my daughter, why did you do it? Why did you sin? What did Eve say? Who, me? It's not my fault. It's the devil's fault. The devil made me do it. Have you guys ever seen that T-shirt? The T-shirt that says, the devil made me do it? Let me tell you, folks, that's not a new T-shirt in any sense of the imagination that's as old as the Garden of Eden because that's what Eve said in the Garden. The devil made me do it. But see, that's one of the good things that I appreciate about this boy of Luke 15. Uh, he did not uh, blame others. He did not point fingers. That's okay, Bill. Let's just leave them lie. Okay. What would I do without help, huh? We all need servants like Bill. I tell you, 
Bill and Rita are servants. They really are servants. I tell you, a preacher reminds me of a Barnabas. He's kind of like a Barnabas. You, you remember Barnabas, right? The son of encouragement. You, you hang around Bill and Rita. They just kind of make you feel good. And that's, that's awesome. But uh, sometimes we want to do what Adam and Eve did. We want to point fingers. We want to blame others. And, and that's one of the good things that I appreciate about this old boy of Luke chapter 15. He did not come home wearing the t-shirt. He didn't come home saying, oh, mom and dad, let me, you know why I ran away? Let me tell you why. It's Joe's fault. Get on to Joe, my older brother. No, sir, he came home saying, uh, who blew it? Who's to blame? Me, myself, and I. And so, first of all, he did not blame others for his own mistakes, for his own failures, and that's something good that I see in him. Let me share another good thing that I see. In the second place, he did not beg. Number one, he didn't blame others. And number two, he did not beg. He said, you know, I have two good hands. I have two good feet. I'm not in the cast. I don't have a broke tendon. And I'm able to go to work. Now, do you remember the kind of work he did in that far country? What did he do? Yeah, he fit. Now, you can call it slopping the hogs if you want to. Okay? That's what we call it down in Alabama, right? I know that some people call it husking the swine. Sir, what do you do for a living? I'm a swine husker. That sounds a little bit more sophisticated than sir. What do you do for a living? I'm a hog slopper. Call it what you want to call it. I know what we call it down in Alabama. We call it slopping the hogs, right? I mean, he got in that pig pen and he fed those pigs. He slopped the hogs. And folks, there are a lot of things that I'd rather do than slop the hogs. Mowing grass. Well, mowing grass with a $99 Walmart special, that's a little bit easier than slopping the hogs. Babysitting, ladies. Babysitting, a little bit easier than slopping the pigs. Preaching, Bill, that's a little bit easier than slopping the hogs. See, there are a lot of things that I'd rather do than slop the hogs. But that's one of the good things that I appreciate about this old boy of Luke chapter 15. He wasn't too good to slop the hogs. He wasn't too good to get a little stains on his hands, some dirt under his fingernails, some sweat on his face. He did not stand back and say, Hey! Where do I sign up? Excuse me, sir, what are you going to give to me? Would you give me something? Please give me. See, the Bible still says, let me start and you finish it, okay? I'll start and you finish. Okay. Pete, you be quiet. Let the audience fin finish. The Bible still says, if a man does not work, neither should he. Yeah, we believe in that eating, right? We like to eat, don't we? Amen. You know that verse, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And verse 10, if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. And I believe that the kid of Luke chapter 15 understood that, so he wasn't too good to go to work. Now the point is this, he's a bad son, he's a sinful son, he's a prodigal kid, but I still see some good in him. And brethren, isn't that what we ought to be able to see in the lives of one another? The positive instead of the negative? Isn't that what we ought to be able to see in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Jesus? The good instead of the bad? Anybody want to say amen? amen. <laughs> well, that was weak. Except Pete. I heard Pete. You know why some of us don't say amen? That's what we look for. Let's just be honest. We look for what's wrong. We look for the negative, don't we? I remember some time ago, went somewhere to preach, marched back to the back, started shaking the folks out, and there was a guy. We had a great revival. I mean, people were being baptized, people were being saved. 
And there was a guy that walked out, shook my hand. You know what he said? He said, I'll give you a D minus. You ever made a D minus? It's been a while since I'd made a D minus, but that's what he said. He was serious. The sermon you preached, how about a D minus? I heard about a little boy that made a D minus. In fact, he made four F's and one D minus. Can you imagine that, parents? Four F's and one D minus. His daddy looked at the report card and said, Son, what in the world have you been doing? And the kid said, Well, Dad, I, I, I guess I've been spending too much time on one subject. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's been a while since I'd made a D minus, but the brother walked out and said, I bet a D minus. And that's often what we look for. We look for the D minuses instead of the A pluses, don't we? I mean, we look to pick and pick and gripe and gripe and stomp and stomp, but we get on the phone and we gossip and we gossip. And let me tell you something, folks. If you look for the bad long enough, you're going to be able to find it. You know that? Regardless of how good, good a person is, how sweet he is, he has warts and he has wrinkles and he makes mistakes and there's bad in elders and there's bad in deacons and there's bad in <clears throat> preachers. Did I say that? And, 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 and husbands, there's, there's bad in your wife. And wives, there's, there's bad in your husband. But see, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to find the bad. I want you to see the good. Husbands, you need to see the good in your wife. And wives, you need to see the good in your husband. And parents, you need to see the good in your kiddos. And kiddos, see the positive, see the good. And mom and dad, it's very biblical. You say, Keith, this is a church. I've got my Bible. Give me some Bible. You want some Bible? Let me give you some Bible. Philippians 4 verse 8, Paul said, Whatever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. What things? The good things, not the bad things. You want to grow this church? I tell you how you can grow this church. Just love the local church and brag on her. Just go out into the highways and hedges, your community, and brag on your elders and brag on your preacher. Brag on your song leaders. Look for the good. Build each other up. Be a Barnabas to one another. And I promise it will be a great blessing to your life. Now we call him a prodigal son, a sinful son, a rebellious son, but I still see some good in him. Number one, he did not point fingers. He did not blame others. And number two, he did not beg. You say, well, Keith, why do we call him a prodigal son? Well, let Jesus answer that question. I want you to go back to verse 11. And let's just look at the story verse by verse here. And let's look at a guy that really needed revival. Although I see some good things in him, he really needed revival. Luke 15, look to verse 11. Verse 11. Jesus said, A certain man had two boys, and the younger of them said to his daddy, Daddy, hey, hey Papa, take care of me. Give me what's coming to me. You know what he does? He goes to his daddy like this. Hey, Papa. Hey, Daddy. Don't forget about me. Give me what's coming to me. You know his basic problem? Let me show you his basic problem. He was, uh, he was selfish. He goes to his daddy with his hand out. Hey, Papa, don't forget about me. Please give me what's coming to me. Give me. He, he was concerned about me, myself. and I, We all struggle with it, don't we? Don't we struggle with this thing called selfishness? If you don't believe me, let me illustrate what I'm talking about. I have a camera in my hand. A camera. And I take your picture. Picture comes out. Let me ask you a question. I, I've just shot a picture of you guys over on this side. 
You look at the picture. Who's the very first person you look for in the picture? Person sitting beside you, right? Behind you, in front of you. No, where am I? Where am I? Oh, there I am. And if you look good, oh boy, this is a good picture. And if you look bad, what's wrong with your camera? Where'd you buy that? Did you buy that at Walmart? And we're, and we're so focused in on me, myself, and I, aren't we? Have you ever noticed how selfish little babies are? Now, if you have a little baby, I want you to know that baby is cute. But he's rude. Think about it, folks. Have you ever met a polite baby? Huh? Have you ever met a baby that said, uh, You go first, goo-goo. Here it is, 2 o'clock in the morning. Little Henry wakes up and he's wet and he's hungry. So you know what he does, don't you? Little Henry, he looks at his watch and says, Hmm, it's 2 o'clock in the morning and you know mom's asleep and, and dad's in bed. I don't think I will bother them. Right? <laughs> Nobody. I mean, if he needs something, little Henry needs something. And he's going to do that until he gets some attention, right? And we're like little Henry. We go through life saying, let me tell you what I want. Let me tell you what I need. Let me tell you what would make me happy. I think about what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. He said, This know also in the last days, perilous, troublesome times will come. Brothers and sisters, do you realize we're living in the last days? You say, Keith, how do you know that? The Bible tells me so. Paul said, In the last days, troublesome, fierce, perilous times will come. What are you talking about, Paul? He says, for men will be lovers of their own selves. Now he goes on to say, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. But ladies and gentlemen, did you notice the very first sin on the list? The very first sin on the list, men will be lovers of their own selves. You know why there are so many divorces in America? Selfishness. You know why there's so much greed and covetous among us? Covetousness. Selfishness. You know why there's so many church fusses and church fights, church divisions, selfishness? I tell you, if the elders don't do what I want them to do, if the preacher doesn't preach what I wanted to preach, if the song leader doesn't lead my kind of songs, I'll just, I tell you what, I'll just quit church. I'll move my membership. And we all struggle with this thing called selfishness. Hey, give me what's coming to me. Take care of me. I'm number one. And what did Jesus say? If any man come after me, he must deny himself. Say no to yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You say, Keith, why do we call him a prodigal son, a sinful son? Well, first of all, I see selfishness. He goes to his daddy like this. But there's another word that I see as I tell this story tonight. I see this word. I see the word sin. Sin. Go down to verse 13. Verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. He goes to his daddy like this. Hey, Papa, Papa, take care of me. Don't forget about me. So the father divides his living between the two kids. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey, took his trip into a far country. 
You know what he does, folks? He runs away from home. Let me ask you, have you ever wanted to run away from home? Pete, don't embarrass Daddy. You've never wanted to run away from home, have you? You love me. Well, I love you too, but don't want to run away. I, I remember, I confess to you folks, when I was a kid, I wanted to run away from home. Remember your childhood? I, I grew up in a nice home, a good home. My parents were Christians. But I remember when I was a kid, maybe six, seven, eight years old, I was fussing with my mother. I remember we were in the kitchen arguing about something. And uh, my daddy came in and, and I got so mad at my daddy. You know what I did? I'm not proud of it. I'm not bragging about it. I'm just kind of confessing. I got so mad at my daddy as a, as a little boy. I, I, I pulled out my BB gun. I was going to shoot my daddy with my BB gun. You know what my father did? He, he got out his BB gun. Kind of looked like gun smoke at the Parker house. But, but his BB gun, my father's BB gun, did not look like the son's BB gun. His BB gun looked something like this. This was his uh, BB, his belt, belt gun. His belt, belt gun. And, and unlike his son, unlike me, he didn't just threaten to shoot it. My father shot it. I mean, over and over and over. I was afraid he'd never run out of BBs. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, you're sitting there thinking, oh, spanking, oh, Keith, we, we don't believe in spanking in our home. Uh, we're more sophisticated than that. And you're what's wrong with North America. <laughs> See, my parents really believed that the best way to make a kid mind was to approach him from behind. And they would often do that, sometimes with a belt, sometimes with a switch, sometimes with their bare hands. I'm not talking about child abuse, folks, but I am talking about a good old spanking. And I don't know, maybe that's what, maybe that's what the kid of Luke 15 needed. Maybe he just needed a kick in the seat. But he knew he could not stay at home and live like he was going to live. He was going to break his mom and dad's heart. See you later, I'm out of here. So he goes into that far country. And in that far country, what does he do? Verse 13, he spends everything, all of his money on what kind of living? Prodigal, wild, extravagant, sinful living. You say, preacher, what did he do in that far country? Did he, uh, did he drink? Alcohol involved? Maybe. Gamble? Did he gamble? Perhaps. Wild women? Did he sleep around? Perhaps. But in that far country, he, uh, he sinned. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. That's what sin will do. Are you listening? See, sin will drive you into a far country. Sin will separate you from your family, from your God, from your church. In fact, Isaiah put it like this in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, your sin, your iniquity has separated between you and your God. We call him a prodigal son, a sinful son. Why? Number one, there is selfishness. And selfishness, take care of me, give me what's coming to me. Hey, I'm number one. Selfishness led to breaking his daddy's heart. Led to messing up. It led to missing the mark. Sin literally means to miss the mark. The mark that we're trying to shoot for, the mark that we're trying to be, is to be like Jesus. We're trying to be like Jesus. And when we're not like Jesus, we've sinned. But I see something else here, and let me share it with you. In the third place, I see this word. I see the word starved. Starved. May I show you how starved he is? Let me show you how hungry the boy is. Go down to verse 14. 
there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want and need. So what does he do? He goes and he joins himself to a person, a citizen of that country. And this guy sends him into his fields to feed pigs. And then my mother's Bible says he would fain have filled his belly with a husk that the swine did eat. And folks, do you, do you see how starved he is? He's so starved he could eat pig food. He's so hungry he could eat the slop. I am curious. I, I like to know my audiences. How many of you have ever... Uh, have you ever slopped the hogs? Anybody slopped the hogs? You are kidding me. All of you? Man, this is a country church, isn't it? <laughs> Folks, I grew up in the country. We had a dog. We had a cat. We had a horse. We didn't have any pigs. And to be honest with you, I've never slopped the hogs in my life. But I have a good imagination. I imagine I'd have to be awfully hungry to eat slop. You know, the dinner we had today was just wonderful. Chicken and ham, but slop. Imagine the announcement. Imagine Bill gets up here today and says, we, we're glad that everybody came on Family and Friends Day and we want everybody to stay for the slop fellowship. <laughs> slop? Ugh! Now, here's what I believe Jesus is trying to get us to see here in Luke 15. I believe that Jesus is trying to get us to see if we start with this, Give me what's coming to me. Take care of me. Don't forget about me. My way or the highway. If we start with selfishness, selfishness leads to what? Sin, missing the mark, breaking the heart of heaven. And sin leads to what? Starvation. Is that right or wrong? If we start with, I'm on the throne, I've got to have it my way. Selfishness leads to Missing the mark, sin, and sin leads to starvation. And you know, we have some people in this room and you're starved. Now, you're not starved physically. Most of us, at least in America, have plenty to eat physically. We're not, we're not talking about physical food, but maybe you're starved for a, a compliment, a pat on the back. Uh, maybe you're starved for a better relationship with your husband or wife. Maybe you're broken because your kids never call. They don't come to see you. Maybe you're starved for a better relationship with your boss or people at work. Maybe you're starved for a hug, just a non-sexual hug. Maybe you're starved for a better relationship with heaven. And we don't want you to stay in that pig pen. We don't want you to stay in that far country. We want you to come home. So let's bring the kid of Luke chapter 15 home, okay? He didn't stay in that pig pen. He wasn't starved forever. Notice what happens in verse 17. Verse 17. Jesus said, and when he came to himself, he woke up. He said, you know, man, pig pens, uh, pig pens stink. There's got to be a better life. There's got to be a better way. And so he came to his senses. He came to himself and he said, listen to what he says here. Verse 17. How many hired servants of my father's have bread, even enough bread to spare and to share. And yet I'm dying with hunger. Get the picture, folks. He's sitting among the pigs. The pigs are there, and they're rooting and rolling and wallowing and feeding and whatever else pigs do. 
Maybe sweat's pouring down his face like sweat is pouring down my face tonight. And maybe he looks at his hands and they're filthy. His fingernails are dirty. And his belly is growling. And he's starved. He's starved physically and emotionally, financially, and spiritually. And then it occurs to him, hmm, He thinks about his father. He says, my my old man, my my daddy. My my daddy was good to us, but but, but he was even good to the slaves. He, He was good to us kids, but he was even good to the servants. The box boys, the bus boys, the foot washers. And he remembered the goodness of his daddy. I want to say something to you. It may be the most important thing that I say the entire week. So if you've been out in la-la land, I want you to wake up and tune in, okay? This may be the most important thing that I say the entire week. If you're a baptized believer, if you're a Christian, you have a good father. You you say, Keith, my my father abused me when I was a kid. I'm not talking about your father. You say, my daddy, my father ran off with another woman, left mom to struggle with his children. I'm not talking about your father. I'm talking about your father. You have a good father. May I tell you how good your father is? When this simple thought occurred to me many, many years ago, it literally changed my life. I went from a burdened Christian to a blessed Christian. I went from a guilt-ridden Christian to an at-peace kind of Christian. Let me tell you, the simple thought, it's very simple, but the simple thought that literally changed my life. My father, your father, our father is so good that he wants me to be saved. even more than I want myself to be saved. Let me say it like this. Your father is so good, he wants you to go to heaven even more than you want yourself to go to heaven. You want to go to heaven? You just missed a wonderful time to say amen. So I'll give you another shot, okay? You want to go to heaven, amen? Amen. You say, Keith, go to heaven... More than life. I mean, there's nothing that I want more than to go to heaven. See, that's a great desire. That's a great desire. But no matter how strong your desire is to go to heaven, no matter how fired up and committed you become, I mean, you can get out here and knock on doors and set up Bible studies. You can attend every church service there is to attend Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You can read and study your Bible every day. You can get down on your knees and you can pray 17 times a day. But I'm telling you, no matter how strong your desire is to go to heaven, no matter how committed you become, folks, there's a God in heaven who loves you. He's crazy about you. And He wants you to be saved even more than you want yourself to be saved. And if you don't believe it, just look at the cross. Look at the cross. The Father in heaven says, Hey, that's how much I love you. Let me ask the daddies of this audience. Daddies, do you want your own children to go to heaven? I have three kids. Ashley, Jessica, my two daughters. They're both married. And then Pete. Do I want my kids to go to heaven? Go to heaven more than life? Sure, I want my kids to go to heaven. And folks, if I want that for my kids, don't you know the Heavenly Father wants that for His kids? See, God is not against you. He's for you. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8 and verse 31. 
you have a good father. And the kid is sitting in that pig pen, and the pigs are there, and he's thinking about home. My father, it occurs to him, my father was good. He was even good to the slaves. And he certainly was good to us sons. So he says, I tell you what I'm going to do. I will arise, and I will go, and I will say, Daddy, hard to say, isn't it? Hardest word in the human language is the word no. In my judgment, it's the word no. It's hard for me to say no to, uh, to an invitation to, to preach. Somebody calls on the phone, Hey, Keith, would you come and preach for us? Sure, when? I'll be there. It's hard for me to say no to the second piece of pie. Cookies. Or cookies, huh? You know, if I can say no to the first piece of pie, I can say no to the second piece of pie. But it's hard to say no to that first piece of pie, isn't it? Especially if it's chocolate. Or pecan. Or a coconut. I love pie, okay? I love pie. It's hard to say no to pie, right? Hardest word of the human language, in my judgment, is the word no. You know what the two hardest words are? I'm sorry. Hey, Bill, I'm sorry. Hey, brother, I'm sorry. Elders, I'm sorry. Honey, wife, I'm sorry. Because when I say I'm sorry, I'm not blaming you. I'm not pointing fingers at you. I'm pointing fingers at this guy. Hardest word, no. Two hardest words, I'm sorry. You know what the three hardest words are? They're found in Luke 15. Did you notice? Luke 15 and verse 18. The kid says, i tell you what I will do. I will get up and I will go and I will say, Father, I have sinned. Now, if you don't believe they're hard to say, let me ask you, when was the last time you said that to anybody? Think about it. I know we had a few to come this morning and say, pray for me. I have sinned. I want to do better. Thank God for those who came. But I'm asking you, when was the last time you walked down a church aisle and did what those did this morning? Said, pray for me. I've messed up. I want to do better. I have sinned been a long time for some of us, hasn't it? It's biblical. 1 John 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. James 5, 16, confess your sins one to another. Pray one for another. So how long has it been for you? You've been a Christian how long? Five years, ten years? Fifteen? You say, Keith, man, I, let's say I was baptized back in the 1960s. Hmm, 2015. I, I've been a Christian for over 50 years. Oh, you've been a child of God for over 50 years. In 50 years, have you ever said to a church, I have sinned. Pray for me. Let me just plant this seed. If you need revival, if you've been in that far country, if you've been living for me, myself, and I, when we sing the invitation song in just a moment, why don't you lead the way tonight? Why don't you become open and transparent and humble, humble enough to say, you know, I'm starving in this far country. And I tell you, I've done wrong, I've sinned, pray for me. The kid says, I tell you what I'll do, I, I, I will get up and I will go and I will say, Daddy, I've messed up. 
And you know that's what he does. Don't miss it. Luke 15 and verse 20. Verse 15, Luke 15 and verse 20. It may be my favorite verse in all the Bible. And he arose and came to his daddy. It's beautiful. Uh, you know what we would say? He, he responded. Sometimes I go away and preach and people ask me, Keith, were there any responses? That's what the kid does. He responds. He walks down a church aisle. He arose and he, and he went. And I love this part. Notice what Jesus says. When he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. Oh, I wonder how long had the old daddy been looking. And these two words catch my attention. Had compassion. The father had compassion. And I love these next two words. And ran. Think about it, folks. When was the last time you saw your old daddy run? The father of Luke 15 saw him, had mercy, and Jesus says, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And that tells me something about God. You know what that tells me about God? If you step out of one of these aisles tonight and you come forward and you say, you know, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a son of God. I'm not a daughter of God. But I know what Jesus taught in Mark 16, 16. Anybody that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And I believe that Jesus is who He claimed to be. And tonight, this very night, I want to be baptized. If you come tonight and say it, I want to become a Christian. Let me tell you, folks, God will not walk to meet you. He won't walk. He'll run. He'll run. And if you step out of one of these aisles tonight and you come forward and you say, you know, I am a Christian but I've not been a fired up Christian. I've not been a faithful Christian. I've, I've been living in a far country and I, I just want to live better and I want to do better. Forgive me. If you come tonight, say it. Pray for me. Let me tell you, folks, God will not walk to meet you. He won't walk. He'll run. He'll run. Will God run? Will the God of heaven run? Well, that's what Luke 15 is all about. It's really not the story of the sorry son it's the story of the fantastic father. The father filled with grace and mercy and love and compassion and forgiveness will run. He'll run. Well, I've told you about this son. Let me tell you about my son. Let me tell you about old Pete. He's 33 years old. He was born June the 26th, 1982. He was born with what the doctors call an encephalocele, a sack outside of his head. And there was brain tissue in this sack. We had no idea that anything would be wrong until he was born. Uh, you know, 30 plus years ago, they didn't do all the tests like they do now. So we were expecting a normal, healthy baby. And he was born with those uh, problems. The doctors looked at him and said, there's nothing we can do. They said, if we surgically remove that sack, outside of his head, kind of like the opening in the spine. They said if we surgically remove that sac, more than likely he'll die in surgery. If he does not die, he'll just be existing, be a vegetable. So uh, we recommend, Mr. and Mrs. Parker, that you take him home and love him. There's really nothing we can do. He's going to die. And so that's what we did. We took him home. We loved him. But he did not die. You know, the first few days of his life, we woke up thinking, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the day that he's going to die. But he did not die. And so when he was about mm, six weeks old, 
We got on the phone, we called some other doctors and that encephalocele that sank outside of his head was surgically removed. And today, physically, he's as healthy as anybody in this room. He very seldom gets sick. Mentally, he has some problems. Some people say he's uh, uh, retarded. Some people say he's handicapped. Yeah. Uh, some people say he's special. Yeah. And if you don't believe that he's special, just ask him, okay? But he's 33 years old and never taken a step by himself in his life. Uh, he will never get married. No. He says that like he's heartbroken, right? I, I don't tell you about Pete to get you to feel sorry for us. At least most of the time, we don't feel sorry for our, for ourselves. He's really, uh, he's really been a blessing to our lives. But let me ask the. You're welcome, Pete. Uh, let me ask the mothers of this audience. Moms, how would you feel if your little boy had never taken a step by himself in his life? Dads, how would you feel if your son had never played on a ball team? See, brain damage is bad. Handicaps hurt. But I tell you, there's something that's worse than brain damage. You know what's worse than brain damage? It's soul damage. S-O-U-L, soul damage. And maybe your soul is a little damaged before God. Maybe you've been living in that far country. Down deep you know I need revival just like this young man. And folks, we don't want you to leave tonight soul damaged. Brain damage is bad, but there's something that's worse. And it's soul damage. So will God run? Will the God of heaven run? I tell you, you take the first step out into one of these aisles down to the front to do what's right. And my friend, God will not walk to meet you. He won't walk. He'll run. He'll run. The God of compassion will run. Let's stand and sing.